This is the program that really gets you thinking. Welcome to Truth is Stranger Than Fiction. Here's the guy who asks all the right questions. Your host, Ralph DeLugas. Hello, everybody. You Welcome to Loving Liberty. This is Ralph DeLugas, your host, and this is Truth is Stranger Than Fiction. I'd like to call this our special Independence Day, 4th of July version for those of you in the state. Um, got an exciting show for you. I wanted to talk... I think in a celebration, it's kind of a Salt Lake thing, and I know most of our listeners probably aren't in Salt Lake City, but the UN, unfortunately, isn't a threat to just Salt Lake City. It's a threat to the entire world in a lot of ways. So this month, they'll be descending upon us here, but hey, they might be coming to a town near you. So in commemoration of that, I wanted to spend a little bit of time maybe each week to try and educate folks a bit on who they are, who founded them, um, and what their uh, stated goals are and so forth. So we're going to be talking about that, uh, a little bit about the global warming hoax, because I think they're tied together. That seems to be their vehicle of choice when it comes to stealing more power and uh, money these days. And I also want to talk about probably the most exciting news article I've ever brought to you guys. This one is on that Navy patent we've talked about before, this has been elaborated on, and it, it's a really crazy little rabbit hole. They have conjugated up a super ship that can fly at insanely fast speeds in water, out, out of water, um, reducing its own mass. Really crazy stuff. We'll talk about that in a coming segment. But first, I want to talk about, oh, let's see, I don't know how to best present this. Um, I would imagine most of you, you guys know how I love that dusty old book called The Bible. And in the Bible, there's a group of people called the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they've been on my mind a lot lately. Um, I don't know. It seems like a lot hasn't changed in a very long time. Um, when, you, when you start thinking about, you know, old scratch, Lucifer, his methods really haven't changed all that much from Cain to our day. Um, lying and murdering to get gain has been a pretty good strategy for the dark side for a very long time. Um, his cloaking skills get a little better, but it doesn't seem like um, doesn't seem like things change all that much. And I want to kind of tie this together. Do you guys think we have Pharisees and Sadducees today? Maybe I should give a little bit of background who the uh, uh, Sadducees and Pharisees were. They were um, the leaders of then in that day, quote unquote, God's church, uh, the, the Hebrew church in Israel. They had priesthood power that had come down from the days of Moses through the Levite tribe. They were the leaders. They were in that particular kingdom. They were not only the religious leaders, they were also the political leaders, the political kingdom and the religious side of uh, there was no separation of church and state. I guess let's put it that way. The, the Sadducees and Pharisees were the political leaders and also um, the priests and so forth. So they had great power. Um, and when uh, uh, Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary gave birth to her son, um, and he started to grow in popularity and wisdom and strength, they started to feel threatened. And um, it wasn't the population at large that threw him out of the church and ultimately crucified him. It was these couple, few upper elite 
people that had their power threatened or they felt threatened, even though they believed the entire way that they were doing right and doing God's will or whatever, but they um, they ended up crucifying crucifying the Savior. Um, not good dudes. So I, I look around the world today and I think to myself, do we have people like that around us today? Well, I, I don't want to point any fingers, but as we're talking about our show today, maybe keep that in the back of your mind and ask yourself, do we have people like that in our world? And if we do, how would we go about identifying them? Um, uh, the UN, just a couple little tidbits on my dear friends at the UN. Uh, I'd like to spend a little more time on global warming, but first let's just talk about them. The couple of facts I want to throw out today. I uh, rewatched one of my favorite uh, videos uh, by a man named Stephen Pratt. Are you familiar with Stephen, Brian? You can just not. You. He was one of, he probably had more to do with my coming to and realizing the world around me probably than any other single source. I, I uh, am self-employed and I have a lot of time to listen and work my butt off trying to pay all my taxes and meeting government regulations and um, to keep my sanity. I listen to, I don't like music so much, I like to listen. And I listen to his entire Liberty series all the way through several times and it's a lot. He is a good, we talk about your truth tester and, and being able to discern um, I think if you were to give this guy a chance, li listen to his Liberty series or a couple of them, there's a lot there, and see if you don't love what this guy has to say. You can tell this is an honest lover of liberty, but and a very smart man, a researcher for, I believe, uh, Cleon Skousen, and um, I believe he was a teacher, just a brilliant man. Anyway, um, if you guys recall back at, uh, before the first Gulf War, or as we were starting the first Gulf War, we had a... George H. Bush on national TV saying that now, now that this has begun, the, the mission of the UN founders can finally be realized. I wish I had a good impersonation voice, but you guys, you guys remember the talk, the, the new world, this is the, we got a real chance at this new world order, blah, 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 whatever. Um, well, who were the founders of the UN? Um, who were the founders of the UN and what was their goal? Well, I, I did a little uh, homework on this and I want to talk about just briefly, if I may, a man named Alger Hiss um, and some 329 other uh, folks sent by the U.S. to the to the first uh, U.N. It was the, kind of their conve convening uh, meeting where they kind of came together and they decided to start this organization. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt sent this delegation and uh, another man by the name of Joseph Stalin sent the other second biggest delegation in a few other countries. Many of you know Joseph Stalin is probably the undisputed greatest murderer of all time um, and probably the most disgusting man possibly that we know of that's ever lived. Um, and years later, this Alger Hiss, who was the first, the first Secretary General of the United Nations during perestroika, if you guys remember that, when Gorbachev came out and opened up the vaults for a short period of time and we all kind of exchanged. That was a weird little deal, and who knows what was really going on there. But we got to see all the names and personalities of all the Russian spies in our little world, and they got likewise. Well, we know now that Alger Hiss was absolutely a uh, Soviet spy, and he was also the first uh, Secretary General of the UN. Uh, Stephen Pratt calls it the third founding of America. The second founding of America, he uh, refers to and makes a very compelling argument that after the Civil War, when uh, state sovereignty was pretty much set aside for federalism, um, 
in reconstruction, which in my opinion as well was the beginning of the destruction of our republic as we know it, but we won't digress down that hole. Um, the goals of the uh, United Nations, you have the stated goals, which they say, which is, you know, a lot of the stuff we've heard, world peace, yada, yada. Interestingly enough, we haven't had peace since they've been founded. Um, some names that you might recognize, those of you that are listening locally especially, J. Reuben Clark warned in 1945 that if the UN Charter is approved, it will absolutely ensure continuous war for generations. Uh, his words were echoed by another very respected person, uh, uh, Ezra Taft Benson, the great religious leader and uh, political activist and patriot. Um, so let's talk about what we observe their goals as being. For one, they've definitely stripped the United States of its gold reserves. They have built up the industrial capacities of other nations at the expense of the United States. And thankfully, Trump got us out of the Paris Accord, although that's questionable if it's rolling forward or not, um, where we also pay trillions of dollars for this global warming hoax. Um, also, they uh, remove markets from American producers. As a manufacturer, I can absolutely tell you that's happened. Uh, they entwine America's affairs with those of other nations so the United States can no longer act independently. Um, I'll kind of move along quick here. Uh, put an end to the United States sovereignty and independence. They also um, seem to be pretty intent on uh, submerging the United States into a one world government and disarm all nations and individuals under a program of human security. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not too anxious to give up my firearms to the UN. And eliminate the significance of the Christian religion building upon the Gaia hypothesis. What is the Gaia hypothesis? Well, that's the uh, global warming hoax. Um, we're going to run out of time in this segment, so I think we'll kind of try to sort of wrap that up on UN facts for this week. I want to talk a little bit about global warming when we come back or whatever they want to call it now, climate change, some of the latest facts. because I don't think we can be armed enough with these facts because so many people around us are so deceived by this nonsense. And it's pretty simple and pretty easily uh, explained to someone that's willing to listen. So uh, we'll take a little break here and we will talk to you guys on the backside. Everybody, welcome back. You're on the Loving Liberty Network. Uh, my name is Ralph DeLugas, and uh, we're talking a little bit about the UN today, global warming, and we want to get into some of the. We have some really exciting news articles this week. NASA is talking about what's going. They have pinpointed a very special thing, 3.6 billion light years away. Pinpointed it. Pretty amazing stuff. But first, let's let's talk a little bit about the global warming hoax. And I, I normally like to say that something is my opinion because I don't want to get myself in trouble with anybody. But I feel pretty comfortable on this one, just saying this is just a a foolish hoax that that we need we need to fix before they uh, 
take more of our more of our money, more of our liberty, suck more power to themselves in the name of this just outrageous, disgusting lie. So let me start by saying this: that global warming, and I would add climate change, is real. Uh, climate change is definitely real. Um, but also, natural cycles are real, and global cooling is real. Um, we talked before about how uh, they just changed the signs in Glacier National Park. Um, up until this year, they had signs in Glacier National Park that said, enjoy these glaciers because uh, thanks to uh, global warming, they will all be melted by 2020. Problem is they've been growing for the last few years, and so they finally had to take those down. But I think it's a really funny example of just how off these guys are. Um, I got another article in front of me. I thought this was kind of interesting, um, especially for those of you locally here. Snowbird to have a 4th of July skiing, sun, snow, and slopes. Uh, it's the first time since 2011 that the resort has been able to allow Independence Day snow activities. Does anybody know what 2011 was? Well, because I love watching the sun, I, I, that date really jumped out at me. That would be when we hit the last solar minimum. See, the climate goes in cycles. The sun gets more powerful, the sun gets less powerful. And... The global warming climate model only allows the sun for one. The first big, stinky, horrible problem with their model is that it only allows for UVs, for radiant, or the sun's radiance, as being the only effect on our weather, which is absolutely preposterous. It is a 100% known fact that that is probably the least of all things that affect us. Uh, the solar wind, coronal mass ejections, the global circuit, solar forcing, particle forcing, all these things have a, they're probably a thousand, thousand times more powerful than just sunshine. Well, when the sun's energy goes down, the solar wind goes down, the number of sunspots go down, and the power output goes down. And the last time that happened was 2011. Coincidentally, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, that's the last time they had skiing at Snowbird in July. Um, let's see what else we got here. I really like this article. I will spend very little time on it. This is from National Geographic. Carbon dioxide levels are at record high. Here is what you need to know. Carbon dioxide, the, a key greenhouse gas that drives global climate change, continues to rise every month. Find out the dangerous role it and other gases play. Well, this is by a Miss Christina Nunez. Um, I would say, yeah, yeah, I guess it does have one very obvious side effect when, when uh, carbon dioxide gases rise, which, by the way, is cyclical. It's happened many, 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 many times before, and it will happen many, many times again. It will go up, it will go down. And the fact that it is up right now, uh, there's a huge side effect. What's happening is plants are getting fatter and happier. The earth is getting greener. Uh, the earth is like 35% more green right now than it was in the 80s. It is, plants are growing like crazy. They're doing what all living things do when they have nothing but a whole bunch of food. They're eating and they're growing. So, um, yeah, keep that in mind when you see scary articles like this. I do want to talk about something that is of actually real concern. Um, and that is our pulse shifting and our magnetic shield weakening. And as our magnetic shield weakens, it is the only thing that protects us from cosmic rays. 
And these are a very real threat. Uh, cosmic rays are super high speed, high energetic particles, the most high energetic particles. And with our shield strength going down, there's, there's a few things that will absolutely happen. And I love, I can't say I love this because it's a little scary, but it's very interesting. Um, here's an article, larger than a grapefruit. Uh, Arkansas, Arkansas hell ties the state record. I'm looking at a hailstone that's five inches in diameter. Um, and the interesting thing about hail is how hail forms is um, small water droplets freeze and they get sucked up in an updraft. And as updrafts become more powerful, which is a side effect of cosmic rays, and those of you that are like me and read that dusty old Bible, you might remember reading something somewhere about hell getting larger, hell destroying crops, hell, hell causing all sorts of problems in the last days in part of the tribula tribulations. Well, we can absolutely see this happening now. Uh, to get to a softball size hail, you have to have an updraft of 103 miles per hour. Uh, quarter size, 49 miles per hour, golf ball, 64 miles an hour, and so forth. A baseball size hell, 81 miles an hour. So these poor folks having softball hell in Arkansas had 110 mile plus an hour updrafts. Um, as cosmic rays increase, hell nucleation will increase. That's a fact. That's not a theory. Um, that's something that we actually should worry about. But that's not anything that we're going to talk about at the UN. I can guarantee that. Um, so anyway, I don't want to go too much into too many more articles, but we do have to talk about this one because you guys know how I love talking about what's going on billions of light years away. This article is uh, out of NASA. Some of you might have heard this. Um, a little bit of background, FRBs, fast radio bursts. Um, this is a, if you're interested in this sort of thing, I would skip on over to uh, Sky. Oh, darn it. I can't think of the name right now. Suspect Sky. Um, it's a good channel for science. Um, and those guys talk more about FRBs than anybody I know. Um, they're big into UFOs, aliens. A lot of people think these are uh, alien ships that are what they are is super high energy radio waves, fast radio wave bursts. They're very, very short, uh, nanoseconds, sometimes milliseconds long, just a burst of Really interesting too. They're always 108, always a multiple of 187.5. So in a, uh, as far as the frequency of it, they're always in kind of sacred vortex geometry, which does kind of lead to maybe intelligence, maybe not. We can't say for sure. But this was a, a fast radio burst. Uh, let me let me read you this headline: Huge burst of mysterious cosmic radio waves traced back to exact location, pinpointed in a galaxy 3.6 billion light years away. Okay, I wanna remind you guys, they're still in hundreds of billions of your dollars to put radio telescopes all over the world to triangulate where this thing came from 3.6 billion light years away. Now, let's forget for a minute that mainstream science has really no idea what light even is. And let's pretend for a minute that it doesn't slow down in the medium and the plasma of space. Let's just kind of set that aside and just for the sake of this article, let's just pretend that those aren't facts. 3.6 billion light years away. You take an Earth, which I don't know, you start talking 3.6 billion light years away. How big is the Earth? Like the size of a, a, a trillionth, the size of maybe a an electron or something like the earth is teeny, 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 but just the spread of 
those of you that maybe know uh, radio triangu triangulation, they take what time this radio wave hit this, uh, this uh, telescope versus that, and they triangulate. So when you're triangulating from satellites down on the Earth, yeah, that's pretty doable, and they do that all the time. But triangulate an exact location in a galaxy 3.6 billion light years away, <sighs> preposterous. But it's always fun to poke fun at this nonsense, and I'm sure somebody will get billions of dollars or more funding for it, so I guess good on them. It's a good gig if you can get it. Um, we're running up towards the break, you guys, so we're going to talk about something a little more fun and exciting. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about the Navy's new super ship after the break. Welcome back. We have, honestly, this, I spent a lot of time reading this article and then rereading it. And then I went and read the patent. We talked uh, last, well, it wasn't last week. I think it was a couple weeks ago about this, um, this uh, patent that the Navy put out. Oh, what was the name of the patent? Um, it's probably in this article. Um, and what's really interesting to me, well, let me first read you just a little bit from this article. This particular one is from The Drive. Um, it's kind of a, oh, it's kind of a military, uh, I don't know, it's, it's not like the most reliable, but it, it, it's good reading if you want to just know a little bit about, it. interesting side note too, there's another article in this this week about uh, China's amazing anti-ship missile technology, which... It's kind of one of the things I like to watch to see what's coming up. Very interesting what kind of military they are building right now, but we won't talk about that today. Uh, the United States, quoting from the article now, the United States Secretary of Navy is listed as the assignee on several ra radical aviation technologies patented. Now, I'm, a, I'm a little bit confused why the Navy patents things anyway, but we'll leave that aside for now. Patented. Uh, uh, radical aviation technology patented by an aerospace engineer working at the Naval Air Warfare Center Aircraft Division, headquarters in Maryland. One of those patents describes a, quote, hybrid aerospace and underwater craft, claims to be capable of truly extra extraordinary feats of speed and maneuverability in both air and water and outer space alike, thanks to a revolutionary electromagnetic propulsion system. Um, if you go back and look at our former podcast, we talked about this exact ship, a guy named uh, Dr. August Dunning. He's a professor at Cal Poly. He's actually one of the good guys. He used to work at NASA, knows a lot about this particular ship and the evolution of it. He claims it was reverse engineered from um, from an alien spacecraft. My honest opinion is that it was reverse engineered from an antediluvian spacecraft, but wherever it was re reverse engineered from, there's no doubt in my mind this thing exists. And there's a patent on it. I mean, right here, you can, what's really interesting to me, just a little side note, according to this article, the reason they patented this, because I mean, this there's like four patents in this, and this is basically the Starship Enterprise, right? This thing, it doesn't say the speeds it's capable of, but according to August Dunning, it can accelerate infinitely. It can exceed the speed of light, which 
light traveling in space is that's an anomaly. Using light speed as a, as a measurement in space is, is, is bad. But anyway, that this thing this thing has its inertia, its mass reduced by this field, and can accelerate along field lines to almost infinite speeds. So, according to him, this ship could go to Pluto and back in ten minutes. I know that sounds like a bit much and hard to get your head around, um, but according to the Navy patent, uh, well, let me read on. Um, a primary patent examiner at the United States Patent and Trademark Office thought this was a bit much too. But then Chief Technical Officer of the Naval Aviation Enterprise personally wrote a letter addressing, addressed to the examiner claiming that the U.S. needs the patent as the Chinese are already investing significantly in these aerospace technologies that sound eerily similar to the UFOs reported by Navy pilots in now well-known encounters. Which is interesting too. The Navy is is admitting more and more and more that they've they're seeing these UFOs all over the place. Well, who's driving the UFOs? Probably the Navy. This raises the question: Are the Chinese developing or even already flying craft uh, similar to this advanced technology? Um, I have a question. Uh, now that the Navy has patented this, does that mean the Chinese are going to go? Oh darn! I guess they beat us to that one. Well, maybe maybe we'll find no. The Chinese, you know, if you want the Chinese to copy something, what you do is patent it. They infringe on every patent. They don't pay any attention to that nonsense. They copy it. They knock it off. They sell it for a tenth the price to everybody. Everybody knows this, right? How does the Navy not know it? Well, they know it. So it really makes me wonder what's really going on. To patent their super ship so that the Chinese don't get it, it's just preposterous, especially in a military concept. It's not like they're going to stay away from it because, all oh, the Americans beat us to it. I don't know what's going on there. I, I'm not even going to theorize. But let's talk a little bit more about this ship because I think this is pretty cool. I don't know about you guys, but I want to I go for – we paid for this sucker. I think we all deserve a ride in it. Um, let me skip ahead a little bit. Um, the Navy's patented hybrid underwater spaceship. Um, this gentleman and this inventor – I'm sure this is many inventors, but the guy they're crediting is Dr. Salvatore Cesare Payas. Um, Payas is named as the inventor on four separate patents for which the Navy is the assignee, a curiously shaped high-frequency gravity wave generator, a room temperature superconductor, and an electromagnetic force field generator, an electromagnetic force field generator that could deflect asteroids and perhaps, strangest of all, one entitled Craft Using an Inertial Mass Reduction Device. Well, what is an inertial mass reduction device? That is, um, how do we explain this simply? Gravity is not what we think it is. Um, I don't think, in my opinion. You can't really get a good definition of gravity or magnetism for that matter. And in my opinion, gravity and magnetism is the exact same force. It is an etheric sinkhole. And the really, 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 you guys have heard me talk about ether before. And usually when scientists, people they take seriously, like Dr. Eugene Maylove from the MIT Institute or formerly of the MIT Institute, when he talked about the ether on Coast to Coast Radio, um, he, he kind of went rogue. He left MIT and started the... Uh, 
oh gosh, the name of it was something like the Free Energy Institute or something. He was pursuing uh, over unity or free energy, as some people call it. I don't like that name, but that's how it's recognized by. He went on coast to coast talking about the ether, and two days later he was dead in another one of these strange murder go- murder robberies gone bad, where the guy's got his wallet and all his money and his watch and everything else. So what happened to him? Who knows? But he was definitely. Uh, not on the earth anymore after he talked about the ether. But in this patent, they openly admit that here we have this super ship that can fly who knows how fast, speed a lighter faster, um, and it's powered by, let's see if I can see find their words. That they, they phrase it a little differently, but essentially this thing is running on power in the air. Um, so why is it these guys can run a ship on the power that's in the air? But anyone that approaches the patent office with a similar thing to give me power out of the air and you power out of the air, well, that person's crazy. And eventually they either get bought out or they get or they get uh, taken out. Um, and it's happened many, many, many times before. And we might talk about another one today. I, I wanted to talk about one of those a week, too, as part of our little UN thing. But um, this uh, repulsive EM energy field device uh, works on uh, energy from the vacuum of space, or quantum vacuum of space, as it's called here. Um, roughly equivalent to the magnetic strength generated by most magnetars, and more electricity, where more electricity is produced than by a nuclear reactor. I don't know, that's kind of a weird way of putting it, um, but basically they're admitting that there's insane amounts of energy in space, and we can har- harness that energy in space, and the, Na- the Navy has a patent to do so. So when will we be powering our homes on this energy and our cars? Well, don't hold your breath. But I think if you get a chance and if you're into this sort of geeky stuff, take a, take a little step on over to The Drive. And, uh, and that's the name of the, the magazine called The Drive. They basically just talk about all sorts of military stuff. But I want to talk about one other patent. <clears throat> As I was uh, looking at patents, which is kind of one of the geeky things I like to do, I came across this patent filed way back in 2001. This patent is called the Nervous System Manipulation by elect- Electromagnetic Fields Patent. Patent number US 6506148B2. Um, the abstract, which is kind of the, basically the summary, um, I don't want to run out of time here, so I'm going to kind of summarize this up. But basically, in 2001, the, they patented the physiological effects uh, having been observed in a human subject in response to the stimulation of the skin with weak electromagnetic fields. Interesting that weak electromagnetic magnetic fields can uh, stimulate the nervous system here. But, um, oh, in places like Salt Lake City, where our uh, police state attorney general or excuse me, our Attorney General Reyes is going to put these behind every wall and garbage can in our schools, in our churches, and they're completely safe. They're going to look through your skin, your meat, into your pants for a gun 24-7, and it's totally safe. Well, here we see these electromagnetic weak fields uh, actually influencing the nervous system, influencing, they talk about it, how it could influence your desire to buy things and all the different ways this could go wrong this whole article is about anyway we'll talk about this just a little bit after the break because we're going to run out of time on it and we'll talk to you soon
Okay, everybody, welcome back to our third and final segment. Um, I want to kind of bring this back to where we started in talking about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I have uh, actually watched in awe. Um, the town that I live in, there's a, a predominant religion here, like many towns. I know through the Deep South, a lot of the evangelicals and Baptist churches um, are, are kind of, uh, you know, the predominant religion in those particular places which is awesome. I think anywhere Christianity uh, flourishes, it's a better place to live than where atheism flourishes. Um, but about 20, I think roughly 24 years, I, I might be a little bit off on that. A sweet little old man uh, named President um, Gordon B. Hinckley stood before the strength of our church, which was the uh, women's conference, and announced and declared to the world the proclamation on the family. And in this proclamation, uh, greatly summarizing, it says that the purpose of life is for a man to meet a woman, fall in love, get married, have kids. This is the cornerstone of God's plan for his kids and the reason we're on this earth, and it is absolutely the cornerstone of our faith. Um, I think most good God-fearing people can go, yeah, that, that seems about right. That's some, that's some good stuff. And I got to admit, many of us here in town were like, yeah, that pretty obvious. Why is, it, why is that? A, it was a declaration. All the church leaders signed it. Well, here we are 24 years later, and in this same city, um, same predominant religion here, um, we have the UN coming to talk about the gay and lesbian wonderfulness, which is fine. I have nothing against. It, much is often said about people like me and people like you that talk about Christianity, that talk about natural law and the Constitution, about how we're intolerant. Um, I don't think that's fair because I, I, I have a gay person that works for me. He's one of my best employees. Love the guy. He's an awesome guy. I don't look at him any differently. I don't think about what he does in his bedroom. I would think like he doesn't think about what I do in mine. I have some neighbors. Same way. I'd be just as happy to help them as I would any other neighbor. Um, I'm absolutely totally tolerant of the gay and lesbian uh, brothers and sisters that live around me. So I think that's nonsense. I'll tell you what I'm not very tolerant of. Um, I'm not very tolerant of perpetual war. I'm not very tolerant of murder for financial gain. Yeah, I'm not real tolerant for that. I'm not real tolerant of murdering the unborn or the uh, born young children, sex, tra sex trafficking them, harvesting organs, corruption and evil unspeakable, uh, this global warming hoax. Yeah, these things I'm not super tolerant of. I'll be real honest. So I guess in that way, I'm not real tolerant. But uh, getting back to my point here, to me, it's so amazing that in this same little community here, we have so many members, and I don't want to say anything bad about my, my particular faith because I absolutely love my church, and I love the leaders of our church, and like I love all good Christian folks, but it seems to me that there are a certain few, and, uh, and we've got them in our legislature, I'll bet you if you, where you live, you have them too, where there's these great guys that claim to be constitutionalists, and we love the Constitution, but then they're going to the United Nations and begging them to come here and talking about global warming. We, we do have a Democratic mayor, and, and to me, she's doing exactly what I would expect her to do. To me, she is more of, pardon the overgeneralization, but to me, she's kind of like, oh, I don't know, like like take an AOC or a Nancy Pelosi. They're To me, they're, they're a wolf in wolf's clothing. I know exactly what they're going to do. I know what Bernie Sanders is going to do. He's going to talk about socialism. Um, 
To me, far more disgusting is the guy that's my good fellow Christian that talks about the Constitution and how he's going to defend liberty, but then goes to goes to work as a state legislature and then votes to smash the lock off the Constitution and rewrite it, like our local politicians did here this last legislative session in calling for an Article 5. These guys are absolutely, to me, in my opinion, these are Pharisees and Sadducees. These are men that give lip service to what's right, but then do what's expedient for their wallets, in my opinion. Um, I want to quote a friend of mine that has a blog. His name's Eric Smith, a uh, really good friend of mine. He's a professor. I mean, he's probably not a professor, but I know he teaches at, a, at BYU-Idaho. And he has a blog, and, and I, read, I was reading it the other day, and some of these are so pertinent to what we— uh, I think we see today. So I'm going to quote from it just a little bit. Um, the Savior told us to beware of false prophets in sheep's clothing, but who are really ravening wolves. You guys have probably heard that, right? Many are quick to judge messages that are not consistent with their own views to be false. And in a fleeting moment, forward the negative emails or news or an article, never giving it any serious doc, uh, research meditation, prayer, or anything like that. We've talked before, this is leaving the article briefly, about how we can discern. I think it is so important to learn to discern truth in this world we live in. Going back to the article, quote, I wonder why the Lord gave this warning at all, referring to the warning about being aware of false prophets in sheep's clothing. I wonder why the Lord gave this warning at all, knowing that all members of his church would always be led by one holding the prophetic office. We uh, were his counsel giving according to a more current view. It might have been, don't worry about judging between true and false prophets because you'll always have just one. Just follow him. I believe his counsel was to help us know how to discern truth when it comes from sources other than who we know uh, the Lord's ordained prophet to be, which also implies that he does indeed send us truth and warnings from others. The Savior taught us the way to discern truth from these sources is by their fruits, by listening to the message of the warners. Um, and this is still quoting from his article. Um, because I listen to these war warners, I am more kind to my children and have more purpose in my life and I'm closer to the Lord. Um, and then he mentions the Sadducees and Pharisees. Uh, the Sadducees, uh, scribes and Pharisees were living in a perpetual state of missing the mark in what what still was considered the true and living church in that day. And this is going back to Christ's day. They had priesthood authority and the rites and ordinances of salvation among them. Ananias and his son-in-law, Caiaphas, were the high priests of the church. They were evil and conspiring men whose conspiracies began against the family of Christ before he was even born. Their power was compounding, compounded in an already impure religious culture by creating fear in the hearts of its adherents, fear of breaking the uh, of a complicated law, fear of the council who upheld and enforced and further uh, convoluted it. Such was the culture among the people when Jesus Christ began his ministry. But despite the false precepts among church members, many true seekers recognized who the Savior was and the divinity of his mission. Fear of the council pervaded many of the hearts of those who believed or associated with him, but still many pressed on in the faith. Um, I think we're living in a day even more uh, controlled by Sadducees and Pharisees, in my humble opinion. And um, how much time we got left, Brian? Like, I get about three minutes. I think we got enough time to dive into this. Um, and I, I don't think 
we can stress enough how important it is to learn to discern truth. Um, I don't want anyone to take my word on global warming or my word on whether or not those microwaves at the airport are, uh, are safe or not safe, which, by the way, is one of my favorite things to do. My wife, last time we flew, she, she was so disgusted with me. She's like, just once. Honey, just once can we fly without you opening your flap about something. I, I just, I read that little sign in front of that microwave oven that they, if any of you have snuck and you're not supposed to look at the screen, but my favorite thing to do is kind of look around the, the corner at that screen, which is showing you right down to your bones. It's an x-ray. It works on the same principle as the x-ray. This is in my opinion, I don't get myself in trouble because they claim it's some magical safe science, which, yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, you, you can see that picture and it's, it's, it's an x-ray machine. So I, I love to tell the guy working right in front of me, you know, he's usually some, some little dude with an attitude. Say, hey, bud, do you really believe that sign that says this is safe? You're here all day bathing in these charged particles, really? And I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's something I enjoy doing. I, I really, uh, I avoid those, by the way, like the plague. If you're wondering if they're totally safe, why is it the kids don't go through it? They'll tell you, well, because, you know, because of privacy and we don't want, you know, grownups looking under the clothes of kids. Eh, I, I always avoid those like the plague if I can, but, um, getting back to the, uh, wrapping this up in the, uh, Sadducees and Pharisees of our day. I know in my town, um, we have, uh, we have got a lot of people standing up and saying, you know, follow me. Uh, I love the constitution. One, one really great example is we have a group here, our particular, uh, Illuminati band of people is called the Buckshot Caucus. And they uh, started a movement called Count My Vote, which was, they always name stuff wrong, don't they? Count My Vote was basically crush the caucus system in Utah. And after they endeavored to do so, the leader of this group, a man uh, by the name, what was his name? Weed or Terror or Briar, Bramble, that's his name. Um, he stood up and introduced a bill, and it's on his webpage, you can see it today, introduced a bill that was a compromise, which just greatly uh, weakened the caucus system. But on his webpage, you can see, I am the man that saved the caucus system. You know what? We've got a lot of these types of people. And until we start uh, looking with little truth detectors, um, starting our days on our knees and looking to the Lord and looking at the fruits... We won't change this world, so let's start doing that. And uh, happy 4th of July. God bless you guys. God bless America, and we'll see you next week.